Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. Hey everyone, I'm your host Chris Sands, and today I'm in Lawrenceville, Pennsylvania at Hop Farm Brewing Company with the owner Matt Gowans. Thanks for having me out, Matt. Thanks for coming. Appreciate it. So let's start off with why the name Hop Farm, because I'm looking around and I don't quite see a farm. Sure. Well, we're, we are, <laughs> um, you know, the, the farm aspect, you know, really came from, and the origin is Hop Yard, and that was our initial name, and um, interestingly enough, uh, that was kind of shot down, but, you know, my original passion, still my passion, is growing my own everything you know so you know my grandfather great-grandfather were both farmers you know loved making beer I was like well I'm gonna start growing hops and open a brewery well both of those are very difficult things to do you know if you try to do both Um, so hop farm really was a taking hop yard and growing it into something a little bit bigger also changing the name um, due to our friends up in Philly called uh, a small brewery called Yards Brewing Company. So um, they yeah, kind of, I guess I could see how they would have. I mean, it seems different enough, but I could see how they would have a problem. Yes. As soon as we <laughs> registered it, they called us and um, <laughs> became really good friends with their their uh, intellectual IP attorney. Um, so really, you know, when we started, you know, I had about three quarters of an acre of hops planted um, and was you know building relationships here and soon realized that that dream of using all local hops was not going to be a reality. Lots of challenges, mostly flavor. You know, you just can't do what we can here. Yeah, I am. Um, I don't know what it's like in Pennsylvania, but I know in, in Maryland, it's actually kind of a debated topic. Some people firmly believe you can successfully grow hops in Maryland, but a lot of people believe that it should just be the idea should be given up that they're just not on par with what you can buy from the Pacific Northwest. Yes. And you know, the, the initial, or even up in New York, right? The, sure. And you know, we, we get some decent stuff from New York, you know, depending on the variety. Um, but you know, after going through it myself and we do still have a, a local program and I work with a grower here, but oftentimes I find myself saying after they're dried, pelletized, this isn't really up to par. And um, so it, it's a difficult you know, scenario to try to do it here. The first inspiration was Blue Mountain Brewing uh, down in Virginia. And um, I really loved what they were doing. Heard it on a podcast, thought, hey, this is something I can do. Um, slowly learned to just focus on the brewery and um, let someone else grow the hops. So we're still using some local, but you know, the majority of it, you know, is coming from, you know, Yakima and, you know, across the pond. Were uh, your grandparents' farms, are they in, in the area? They were um, near Chicago. Oh, okay. Um, mostly tomatoes. Uh, my grandfather and then my great-grandfather was actually onions, and um, he was very successful with that, you know, sending them to the West Coast and to Gilroy, California. For those of you that have driven through mm-hmm. Gilroy, you can smell the onions and the garlic in the ground with your windows up in your car. It's quite amazing. 
I don't know if I would, like that would be nice or miserable. Depends if you like onions, <laughs> onions and garlic. Uh, but you know? I, I like onions and garlic, but I don't know like if I want to smell them that that much. <laughs> it's very similar. There's a, a place in Pennsylvania where it's like the mushroom capital of the world, and you drive through that and you smell the mushroom and manure compost, and there's these beautiful brand new houses there, and your windows are up again. Yeah. Like, How do you live here? And they're probably also the first people to complain, even though those farms were there way longer sure. than those houses were ever Absolutely. built. Absolutely. As it <laughs> and goes. they knew exactly what they were getting themselves into. Yep. So, um, yeah, I was just wondering, my, my grandfather had a farm south of Pittsburgh in Periopolis, uh, but it was more of like a hobby farm than uh, he didn't make a living off of it. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, that's still in my blood. You know, my parents never let me grow a single vegetable when I was a kid. Uh, I got caught senior year of high school growing something else like in the pool filter room, you know, but um, they really never let me grow anything. And, you know, currently I have five acres, um, have a little bit of livestock just in poultry, but still grow things for our beer. My uh, my friend Nick here and I went had a friend in high school who also grew something else uh, when we were in high school, and his mom found it and took it to the police station. <laughs> I, yeah, I think we call it, the brewers call it the cousin. Um, in my instance, my mother actually went to the library, and she came back with a book, and the book was entitled Herbs. And she turned to X page, let's call it 242, and she's like, this is cannabis. I'm like, shrug my shoulders i just found the seeds mom right pretty much (laughs) i'm trying to i'm trying to extend the family legacy sure so i mean currently the the major thing that i grow for the beer is lime basil um it's a special type of basil that really tastes like lime like the lime pith without the bitterness is that like a goza that you use it in or well we do a saison okay right now it'd work really good with that too and be really good with the goza like that you know you get the the acid acidity you know the lactic acid from um you know basically the lactobacillus nick if i remember correctly you also had a sign on it that said don't touch my plant yes but his his mom touched it and took it to the police station so at least your mom didn't turn you into the police (laughs) absolutely and that guy turned into a passion that's what he does today he's a legal grower oh well i mean yeah he he took his he took his hobby and ran with it. That's right. Uh, so, what were you doing before you started Hop Farm? So, before Hop Farm, um, I really started as a video editor and production uh, within an advertising agency. And that's a popular trend in the Pittsburgh beer scene. It, it seems like <laughs> it. Um, you know, personally for me, I saw it going from you know video production and then you know, climbing the ladder, getting a new job, there wasn't a need in-house and I became more of just the in-house graphics person, which was to me a step down. You know, my passion's still a lot in video and film production. Um, so it still goes hand in hand um, in some ways, but you know, at some point I just made that change. Well, I mean, you could still, there's definitely a lot of places to use those skills owning a brewery too. There's plenty of reasons and ways to create content absolutely so and gives you a little bit of a leg up on the marketing aspect true and I, I do find you know that those are things that i've always wanted to have on my plate 
And then as an owner operator, you know, you find that there are so many other things on your plate that you have to farm that out. Yeah. But serendipitously, you know, it, it ends up that I become the creative director, which was the job I always wanted when I was at the ad agency. So <laughs> you finally gave it to yourself. Right. <laughs> so, so were you, were you editing or were you shooting the videos? I was doing both. Okay. Yep. See, I, I really like the shooting part or, I mean, ultimately the directing part is the best. I right. absolutely hate editing yeah. with a passion. <laughs> you know, I think the editing for me, and I have a musical background as well, but, you know, there is a flow and to editing, there's a rhythm. And it's very similar to composing a piece of music. Did you go to school for film? I did. Or, okay. Yeah. Where at? Uh, I went to Pitt. Okay. So did uh, I for a um, year. Then I decided I didn't want to be a psychologist and then <laughs> went on to other routes <laughs> sure yeah so it was just um film and information science actually so what um how did you get into craft beer so my wife got me the shittiest homebrew kit ever was it a mr beer or even worse it was worse than mr beer that's so impressive everyone thinks mr beer when you say shitty homebrew kit this was off of a, a website i don't know if they still exist it's called red envelope and it was literally a bag, like a, you know, for the brewers out there, it looks like a malt bag, you know, and it had a little liner inside as well, a port at the top and a valve at the bottom. And it had dry malt extract in it. And you added warm water. And once it cooled down, you added the yeast. So you're mixing up your, your DME, add some yeast once it gets down to room temp and let it go for a week. Well, you just brewing in a, it's basically, it was like brew in a bag and like not mash in a bag, but like the whole freaking things in the bag. That's, that's impressively bad. I don't think I've ever heard about this. It, it, it was horrible. Yeah. I, th I think, I think I was the last one they sold. I don't know. Um, but you know, my, my background, um, and you know, as a child, I always, I was cooked with my mom, very strong Polish, you know, my mother was a great cook and I always paid attention to that. And, you know, I still cook with her, you know, begging for some recipes and for her to teach me the, you know, the, the unicorns. Can you there. make a good pierogi? Oh yeah. Okay. And a nut roll. Uh, those are too great. <laughs> yeah. That's yeast driven too. But, <laughs> um, you know, so I've always had that background. Once I made that, that first beer, I was like, this is total shit. And, you know, it just snowballed from there, you know, out of the, get kicked out of the kitchen into the garage and you know i got kicked out of the garage and i said oh honey i'm i'm just gonna open my own place then <laughs> this would be so much easier if i just owned a brewery <laughs> right right so i um uh, my my wife's family is all eastern european descent too and they spent the day last week making pierogies like 17 dozen mm -hmm. so i got to enjoy pittsburgh made uh pierogies for yep. easter because everyone in Maryland, like there will be a restaurant, and they'll say, "Oh, they have really good pierogies," and you try them. Like this isn't a pierogi. You have no idea what a pierogi is, right? Yeah, I mean, my mother actually brings them back um, from a Ukrainian church, you know, every year, and um, this year she said they were basically a buck a piece, and these are beautiful big pierogies. And I was like, "Well, mom, 
I'm going to start making them. <laughs> so. And that's well, what, what I always tell people, too, is that it's not a pierogi unless it's made by a little old lady in a Catholic church basement. Absolutely. <laughs> that's the only <laughs> time you get the true pierogi flavor. Yep. <laughs> Right, um, let's take a real quick uh, sponsor break and we get back. Let's talk about what your gateway beer in the craft beer was. All right. So we'll be right back. Uncapped is brought to you by one of Frederick's original Maryland craft beer destinations located off of Urbana Pike, featuring a warm, inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh, locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap. Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, mom's spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts. Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs, or one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. So do you, do you remember what the beer was that like really was your first introduction into love and craft beer? So this is a twofold question. So the first one was when I was way underage, (laughs) um, my friend Jeremy, I won't, I won't mention his last name. Um, we, you know, always raided the, the old man's, you know, beer fridge and it was, don't judge me, Killian's red. But that was the first thing outside of like a warm MGD that you swap from dad. And, you know, that's that, that, that darker beer. And Jeremy and I had a lot of fun culinary experiences as, as teenagers, just being jackasses about it. But, <laughs> um, and then after that, it was, you know, Sierra Nevada pale ale. Yeah, I think that's a, uh, for our generation, a very common gateway yeah. beer. I actually, mine was a, a flying dog old scratch because mm-hmm. I, I had just moved to frederick flying dog had just moved to frederick and they you could go there and take a tour and then drink as much as you want right and that's how what got me into drinking beer <laughs> <laughs> um so when your wife got you that first homebrew kit had you even had the idea at all at that point that like that was something you were going to want to do or get into, or was that the catalyst that sparked wanting to, you know, the idea was there, um, back to the ad agency, I was driving from one neighborhood down to the strip district here in Pittsburgh. And I had to pass the iron city brewery every day and crossing the Polish Hill bridge, you know, when they were mashing or boiling, you could really smell it again. The theme is windows up. Um, you could still smell it, and I really love that smell. And I think that she's a very good gift giver, and I think she picked up. I was like, babe, you know, every time I drive across this bridge, I love the smell of this coming past the brewery. I mean, that was Iron City beer too, <laughs> but it still smells good. And I, you know, so it was, you know, slowly led into that. But she picked that that gift 
based on that feedback and you know knew my love for cooking and it I really just you know once I get into a hobby it becomes a passion and something that really latches on so you know that was I brewed for 10 years before we opened this place so how did that first uh bag of beer taste it was pretty bad um <laughs> oxidized would be the the right word and um barely carbonated but you know that scientific mind of mine you know just i was like i can do this better that's and weird though you think you'd be able to keep oxygen out of a bag that you just had all the ingredients in yeah well <laughs> o- oxygen can creep in and yeah. you know and you know I don't mean to back up here a little bit, but like my second science fair project ever was blowing up balloons with yeast. So we took various sugar substrates, Coca-Cola, wine, or not grape juice, you know, sugar water. So like it was always in the cards for me, you know, just finally came together after she got me that brew in the bag. That's, that's actually pretty cool. That's a cool, like a, so it was, it was your destiny. I hesitate to say that, but <laughs> you said it first. So, so how how long was it after you got into Christ? So you said it was about ten years time span. Right. When in that ten years did it become uh, like I? This is something I want to do. I'm going to aim for that. Right. You know, when, once I got fed up with you know the fact that I had really pushed myself in a way out of video and film and video and film in Pittsburgh at that time wasn't that bubbling industry that it is right now. And I had a couple bosses that I thought, man, if these people can run a company, you know, so can I. And <laughs> honestly, Samarth and Lisa, you were my leaping point. And I said, if they can do it, I'll do it. And, um, you know, it's, it's not all it's cracked up to be. It's, you know, it's a lot. It's a huge responsibility. And as your team grows and you become you know, the leader, the patriarch, and you have all these people to take care of. I didn't realize how large, I, I'd never been here before. I didn't realize how large it was. This is a pretty big brewery. Yeah. I mean, we started off renting about a third of the, the property and um, purchased it about three years ago. Okay. So I've slowly been expanding into the rest of the space. What year did you open? 2013, September. What um what size brew house do you have? So the brew house is a ten barrel brew house. We eke out about twelve, but you know with loss and everything, um, we have twenty and thirty barrel tanks as well, so we can double and triple brew. So, you know, essentially at any point in time, we have about one hundred and fifty barrels of cellar space. So you 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 started at a point that like you you were then able to expand up enough to. Uh, as you fill up this building, keep the beer supplied. Absolutely. Uh, did you start out canning? Have you always canned or was that a surviving COVID adaptation? That's a funny and painful story at the same time. <laughs> um, that was actually part of our initial um, purchases. Uh, we had bought a canner from a company that's now defunct. Um, really, this machine was designed for bottling. Um, got a reference from a very well-respected um, veteran brewer at the time that was using it for bottling, and he's like, "Yep, no problems." I'm like, "Well, if he says it, we're getting it." Didn't really function as well as a counter-pressure can filler as we thought it would. Um, it's actually still sitting in the back, so we did can start off canning for the first year, year and a half, 
kind of gave that up because of the losses that we were having out of that machine. Um, went were through. they like um, not un- unfilled, like not filled properly filled cans or yes. DO issues? Yeah, or no, it, w- were- it wouldn't be DO. I mean, the counter pressure part was amazing, but the engineering, you know, was beyond my scope, beyond my staff scope, and the manufacturer really couldn't support it. Gotcha. So we ended up just setting that aside and going to kegs for quite a while. Um, about four years ago, we started you know, using a mobile canner. And two years ago, we bought our own. So we've been running our own inside now. Which, which kind of can, canning um, line did you go with? We went with Micro Canner, and they're out of Michigan. Okay. Um, I've and, seen a few of those. So. Yeah, and we're, we're getting really good, good numbers off of that machine. Uh, it's quite quick, you know, low fills. You know, nothing like we were getting with the mobile canner. The um, so what your original canning line? You said it was originally designed for bottles. Is it made in a way like it, it can switch between the two, or was it they just took something they built for bottles and adapted it to then work for cans? You can switch it out. You know, for bottles, um, we currently don't have the parts for that in house, okay. but you know, they basically modified it with a a cup that went over the can and the counter pressure part was amazing um but just too difficult so if there's anyone that likes engineering i'll sell it to you for real cheap (laughs) (laughs) i'm i gotta feel like there's someone out there that would want it because the lead i i mean they may have calmed down a little bit but the lead time for a canning line at one point over the last two years was obscenely long yeah we waited four months but you know I think, you know, the big ones, you know, go with Wild Goose, for example. Yeah. Like, I think their lead times were huge, and Wild Goose and Cody as well. Um, so then you, if I'm doing the math right, you bought that, like, just at the, into the beginning of COVID. Yes. Okay. Um, and it was, in Pennsylvania, it was fairly hard to operate a tap room net or impossible to, so that... I guess that during that time, the vast majority of your production was in the cans. Yeah. And I mean, that's one that finally pushed me. I'm like, all right, we're done with the mobile and we, we are going to do that. Um, I don't know exactly how many months it's kind of all hazy at this point, but I know we did take out and we actually did home delivery, you know, for, for beer and food. Um, how it, so you have a full service kitchen here, right? Right. with the across the board type offerings or is it all yeah we, we do burgers we do quesadillas you know it's, it's pub fare yeah the um, kind of stuff you want to eat while drinking a beer absolutely um do you distribute much or is it mainly through the tap room we do probably about 50 percent self-distribution you know as we go towards the summer months um and as we you know utilize our warehouse space a little bit more We'll pull back a little bit on outside distribution. Uh, we have a, a a trailer that also goes to about twenty eight concerts throughout the summer. Oh, nice! So that's a really nice you know boost for us in the summer. Uh, is it just is your self distribution just through like the Pittsburgh area, or do you go throughout the state? Current, currently, it's just Allegheny County. Okay, uh, a little bit down in Washington County. Um, we've entertained you know going you know to the you know the eastern side of the state and we just don't have the volume and there is a, a huge balance between how much do you sell in the tap room 
versus distribution because the numbers are vastly different. Yeah, it's completely different economic model between the two options. Yes. Um, is it hard to, as a small brewery, distribute in Pennsylvania? Wait, because I know that like there are definitely way more options for buying beer here now, but is it still is it harder to navigate because of the? Yeah, I don't think it's it's harder to navigate. Um, there are some accounts that that really prefer just going through you know one or two houses and writing one or two checks. Yeah, they don't want to deal with all the self-distributed places. They want to just deal with a distributor that. Correct. Correct. And, you know, that's fine. You know, we'll still be able to push into some of those. But, you know, we have that freedom um, of being able to self-distribute. Um, side note, I was in a contract um, with a, a local distributor for about a year and a half. Um, this was about six months before COVID hit when we got out of that. And that was that was not working out for us. And um, we went through some pain you know, try to get out of that contract, had a great attorney. And, um, he actually yelled at me because I took a page or two out of the contract. (laughs) I was like, no, man, I I just got to get this signed and this is going to help us. Well, in hindsight, our sales actually decreased and you get lost in the shuffle if you go with, you know, one big house and, you know, there's a lesson, the learning curve and all that, you know, so hopefully, you know, here within the next year or so, some of those laws are going to change and you know, I won't speak to all of those right now, but you know, it's looking good for the independent brewer and it should, I mean, the, the freedom to sell to who we want and yeah. we still can do that. But you know, if the distributor wants to pick us up, just don't own our brand for the rest of our lives. Yeah. I mean, beer is a huge business in Pennsylvania. Hey, what are they? Is it like the volume is larger than any, like, there's something that Pennsylvania leads in, we're, but I can never remember what it we're is. We're probably the second or third. We, we might be, we're in the top. And as far as craft, if you call it craft beer, um, you, know, you have Sam Adams and Yingling's now considered craft. Yeah. Um, you have, you know, places like Iron Hill that have 20 locations. Um, that's part of my if you want to call it my pedigree as I actually came up and interned through there. Oh, did you? I had, yeah. I had them on recently. Yeah. I saw that. Okay. Mark, Mark's great guy. So, yeah. yeah. They, um, so that, that, well, I mean, you, you'd already mentioned that you, you were into the culinary world too, but it, like coming up through them, like, cause talking to them, they definitely had a passion for oh, yeah. food oh, yeah. and beer. Like, at, so I guess you probably brought a lot of that same, Absolutely. Stuff to hear. You know, when I when I was apprenticing, you know, we'd, we'd do the mash and, and Paul would be like, all right, let's go to the bar and order lunch. And we have a really good menu, but their menu is amazing. And so I missed some of those those food items I could just yeah. go to the bar and just get for lunch. But, <laughs> um, yeah, that was always in me. It was always very important to me to, to do our own food. And we're one of the few breweries in Pittsburgh that's had probably the one that's had the kitchen the longest outside of, you know, someone like Penn. Yeah, because when did East End only recently open theirs, right? Right, about two or three years ago. Let's take another quick sponsor break, and we get back. Let's talk about um, any kind of events you have coming up, some of your your philosophies and the styles of beers that you put out, and uh, just beer in general. Sure. So we'll be right back. I buy my beer at District East in downtown Frederick, Maryland. 
They have an amazing selection of local and hard-to-find beers, and I love the option of making my own mix-and-match custom six-pack. District East is on Northeast Street in Frederick, in the same shopping center as Showroom Restaurant and Rockwell Brewery. Most weeks, they have over 950 beers in stock. Check out this week's selection at www.districteastbeer.com. Are you planning on having custom glassware made for your business? Glassware availability for 2022 has already reached capacity, and it looks like costs will predictably rise this year. Don't worry, ACS Brand My Beverage has you covered with over 6 million units of the most popular glass styles exclusively in their inventory to meet your branded glassware needs right now. Lock in today's lower prices and take immediate delivery, or ACS will store your product for you until you're ready. Email sales at brandmybeverage.com or visit brandmybeverage.com to reserve your glassware. McClintock Distilling is Maryland's first and only certified organic distillery, handcrafting gins, whiskeys, vodkas, and cordials from non-GMO organic ingredients in downtown Frederick. Named the best vodka distillery in the country by USA Today, best gin in the world at the International Spirits Competition, and double gold at the World Spirits Competition for bourbon, rye, and gin. Open now for tours, tastings, and classes. Come sample the most awarded distillery in Frederick today. First, let's talk about what we're drinking right now, because this beer is absolutely delicious. So it's Ghost Cowboy, your West Coast style IPA. Uh, is this a style that you personally like, or is this uh, because, thankfully, West Coast IPAs are finally coming back in popularity? You know, personally, I, I love this beer. Um as a longtime beer drinker, I've actually, in recent years, shied away from IPAs and gone more towards the lagers. Um, I never really liked the hazies. Um, I don't know, call me a purist, you know, but there, there are some that I like. But we got to this point where it's like, all right, no one's doing a West Coast. Let's bring this back. And you, know, you had mentioned earlier, our original flagship was Hop Farm IPA. You know, this is pretty close to... You know, where that beer was okay um so it was more out of necessity because no one was having it and we've gotten so much feedback people thanking us saying thank you you know finally have a clear ipa again so we still run you know plenty of hazies but we also try to have a west coast or you know some type of pale ale on all the time do you have a style that you consider to be hop farms specialty or do you don't really have a focus and you just go across the board yeah i would say our our specialty you know has always been the saison um you know as as a home brewer you know using the dupont yeast you know it's a it's a pain in the ass yeast for most people and it's always worked really well for me especially when i transition from home brewing you know to the pro brewing and you know you have this you know yeast that's so temperamental and everyone says it it shits the bed at you know you know 10 30 let's say you know 12 play or not 12 play like nine play-doh and um i never had any issues in the big tanks and you know it's always dried out so you know you said at the beginning you said you know i don't see the farm well we're the urban farmhouse brewery and you know that's really truly where my passion is um recently bought a fooder and we have our first the first beer that's going into that fooder is a saison there's no brett you know nothing like that but 
we also have um, a breaded saison that's still sitting in conditioning. That's it's a beautiful beer, and um, that's always been my passion. You know, Jolly Pumpkin, a uh, long time ago. You know, Paul from Iron Hill introduced me to that beer, and I was just just fell in love. You know, that was two thousand nine. I that's another trend that I love is that picking up steam is that so many breweries are getting fooders and starting to play around with them. Absolutely. There's so many amazing beers coming out that have been fooder aged. Yes. And it's a nice tank to have, you know, if you look at the cost of, you know, a fooder versus stainless, you know, you're almost half the cost at times. Um, yes, you have a little bit more time in the tank, but you know, it's, I'm like, I'm old school. I'm a purist in a way with these sort of things. And I love, you know, wood aged, you know, old things, you know, Cantillon top two beers, you know, anything from Cantillon is going to be in my top two. I have actually never had a Cantillon beer. Oh, I wish I had that's one a, for you that's right a, now. That's the response I almost always get. Oh. <laughs> like a first kind of like a, uh, can't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad. Have you ever thought about going back to your roots and just making beer in a bag for here? Hell no. <laughs> but we could do it for fun. Yeah. <laughs> there, was, uh, there was a group of breweries uh, local to me that made a, uh, I wish I could remember how to say the real name, but the, when you brew the beer by using hot rocks as to, okay. to heat the wort. Yes. Oh, I can't remember. But, I mean, they did just like five gallons of it, and then they blended it into the brewing it in on, on a regular kettle. But it was still a lot of fun. Like we had a like a home brew set up, and where it had rocks sitting in a fire, and yeah. dropped them in. And yeah, I mean, one of my favorite books um, is Sacred and Herbal Healing Beers, and you kind of have to decipher some of the ingredients. You know, the author explains as much as they can, but. I mean, this beer culture goes back so far that most people don't even realize that. Like, you know, you got someone sitting there that just loves hazies. It's like, do you realize how old this tradition is? And, you know, some of the crazy beers that have been brewed over the centuries. So I know you do um, some kettle souring. I've had your cranberry. Um, the sauce. Yeah, that was really good. Um do, do you do any like smoothie style sours or do you stick more to like the more traditional types of uh, kettle souring or you know with, with the smoothie sours um i've never been a huge fan um if you want a smoothie sour in in my opinion like wait till the fruit drops to the bottom of the keg and wait till we're about to kick, kick the keg and some, and then you'll have one that wasn't yeah, intended to be. Yeah, and sometimes <laughs> it actually clogs up the fob, and you know the bartenders <laughs> are like, "What happened?" I was like, "Oh, we just got to up the pressure and yeah. blow that shit through." Um, so I, I've always shied away, you know, from that, and I, I really like it just to be a homogenous mix because I feel like a lot of fruit, like smoothie sours tend to be so thick, and yeah, it's like my daughter making the the morning yogurt smoothie. I'm like, <laughs> I'll stick with that. I I toyed with the idea of doing a um instagram series when i when my daughters wanted uh fruit smoothies for uh breakfast a lot that i would start taking pictures of smoothies <laughs> and beer glasses and then just post and ask if it was a beer or if it was a smoothie that's great <laughs> i like that um do you do any mixed firm or 
we have um you know with with the um brewing with friends so that's kind of a series that we started with um you know our head brewer right now he has a lot of you know connections in the homebrew industry um he's very excited for homebrew con coming here um but you know we'll bring in you know some of his good friends and, and make beers so brewing with friends was the, the first mixed firm um you know as far as that you know we do have one tank that we do designate that we will put Brett in the stainless. Okay. Separate gaskets, still boil the gaskets in between. That that shit doesn't have wings. It doesn't fly. You know, if you want to have a separate hose, do that too. But it does die. You know, when yeah. You, when you heat it up enough. It's um. There there seems to be like two very strong schools of thought when it comes to using Brett or other mixed firm. Sure. Things where it's like some breweries or brewers want it in a different area. Some so much as in a different building. Right. And then like I've been to places where it's it's all right there. They just yeah. have different. Uh, they usually have different hoses and then all the gaskets and stuff. Sure. But like they're like no, if you're just careful with. Yeah, and, and some some brewers out there might want to beat me over the head for saying this, but you don't have to do that, you know. And I challenge you to find Brett in any one of our other beers. It, it does not float around the brewery, you know. Okay. Lactobacillus, if you're not clean, it could have an effect over time. But it, as fast as this beer is turning, it's it's refrigerated. You know, we do micro. We haven't seen it show up yet. Do you uh, do you do much barrel aging? We have some barrel aging. Um, the program was slightly neglected for a while, so we're, we're in the process of revamping that right now. Um, but if you look behind us, like over there, there's there's probably about thirty barrels or so, you know, wh- between whiskey and and red or white wine. But what definitely a passion. What is your personal favorite style of beer? I would say a breaded saison. You know, maybe, um, you know, Victory came out with, um, what was it, the the Wild Devil, um, right about the time when I was still homebrewing, and I actually added some Brett when I was just bottle conditioning my IPA. And I was like, oh, shit, they beat me to it. Well, they're a functioning commercial brewery. They're still a homebrewer. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, anything with Brett, um, if it's done right, you know, you get that, that nice, crisp dryness, but, like, saisons, fruited saisons with Brett. You know, that's, I would drink those all day. Did you open Hop Farm as the brewer or did you hire a brewer right away? I opened as the brewer, um, bartended sometimes. Um, when the kitchen needed me, I, I jumped in and slowly trained, you know, a staff up to it. Um, some days I, I miss, you know, the proverbial bicycle, um, you know, and I will jump in and it is like riding a bicycle for the most part. Um, but yeah, I do miss that part, but I was pretty much have done every job in, in the company. So when you first opened, were you then just in that first area where we entered in? Yes. Um, the first area and then production's always been, you know, in that backspace, which our plan is to move some of that, the hot side over to the warehouse and then use up that original, you know, hot side space for additional tanks and add in some process piping over there and a little bit more for show behind the bar in the warehouse. How many square feet of tap room do you have? Total tap room, I would say, well, the original tap room's about 
800 square feet, but with the expansion into the foyer and what we call the warehouse, um, I'd say about 3,000, 4,000 square feet. Okay. Um, so we'll lead that into that's plenty of space to hold events, such as? Yeah, such as, um, you know, we've had live music, um, music every third Thursday, um, bring in some other acts in. Um, we've had, you know, pub games, which um, we have a pool table, dartboard, and a couple cornhole sets, you know, there in the warehouse. Um, we had that a couple weeks ago. That was a really big turnout. And then um, we're working with Field by Hops here uh, coming up on May 14th, and we're having the, the event called the Bre- Best Brunch Ever. And um, so we'll be hosting that as well. I love the name of the first festival I did, the cookie table one. Yes. Just because it... Like people in the area where I <clears throat> live now are fascinated by the Pittsburgh wedding cookie table. <laughs> oh yes, it's, it's a it's a regional like cultural thing. It's, oh, yeah. I mean, we we had a huge one at my wife and I's wedding. Yeah, I'm I'm not from here. Um, grew up in Chicago, and you know, was slowly introduced to all this culture. And um, I never wanted to leave Pittsburgh. Like all my friends that are from here, they all left. I'm like, guys, this city is awesome. <laughs> like, you got cookie tables. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I never, I never made this realization, but Nick's first marriage did not have a cookie table, <laughs> and that may have been the kiss of death of. <laughs> we didn't have a cookie table in uh, Punta so We didn't have one either, but neither one of us were from Pittsburgh, so well, we were I mean, unaware. Yeah. Well, that's acceptable then. Like, <laughs> Uh, so you grew up in Chicago then? Yeah, Northwest in, Indiana. Okay. But close enough to like 30 minutes from Chicago. So who do you root for? White Sox. Sorry. I mean, I, it's, I'll allow it. I saw the uh, reaction what, there. What about, <laughs> that's funny though. Like you really don't find many White Sox fans outside of Chicago. <laughs> yeah, and, unless you're on the south side, um, it, you're really not. And you know, my grandfather, both of my grandfathers actually were Cubs fans. And um, there was something, my best friend, diehard White Sox fan. So that's probably an influence. But also, you know, I went up to Wrigley Field once. And I think I had that seat that was in front of the pillar. And, you know, <laughs> I had to sit there and you're leaning out to the left or the right to see what's going on. And ironically, we have a spot in our bar that I still need to put a little cut in in a plate into the bar it's reserved for Cubs fans because our, our tap system comes from the ceiling and you actually can't see the full TV because you know the, the uh, black pipe that's coming down from the ceiling is right in your way so I'm like this is reserved for Cubs fans <laughs> so I, I think that's the biggest thing that turned me off on of Wrigley Field you know and you know it's just always you know when you're from the south side and I consider that like you're a White Sox fan I mean I did really like Frank Thomas yeah, he's. I mean, now he's doing Nugenics commercials. So. Oh, is he? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I haven't seen any of those. Oh, yeah, Maybe the, I'd... <laughs> the women swoon over Frank. <laughs> uh, do you at least root for the Steelers? Absolutely. Okay, that's allowed. Then. I had an epiphany. My wife and I went to my first Steelers game, and I had been here like six years, and folks are like throwing uh, snowballs at uh, you know this bears rv that had like their satellite out <laughs> with a big c on it i was like all right i'm gonna start throwing snowballs and just you know that 
I was a Bears fan in the 80s, like with Jim McMahon and, you know, the, yeah, whole, when the whole, a show. whole spiel. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, definitely converted Steelers fan. I feel it would be next to impossible to live in Pittsburgh and root for another team. Yeah. I mean, with, with football and hockey, um, absolutely. Baseball, <laughs> you know, we're, we're really working on that struggling. We, um, my wife and I brought some friends up here. It, oh, it was to go to um, the ah, crap, the Big Poor. Is that yes. the name of it? Yep. We, we brought some friends to the Big Poor. They'd never been to Pittsburgh before. And then the day afterwards, we took them to the uh, Strip District. And it was, I think it was a game day. So everyone was wearing Steelers gear. And then after I think we walked past like the 10th, store selling nothing but pittsburgh pirate and penguins uh jer- jerseys and stuff he turned to me he's like how many damn stores do you guys need to sell Steelers <laughs> stuff and i was like we'll look around you do you see anyone wearing anything but <laughs> yeah we need to have a big supplier around here. Yeah. <laughs> um what other uh kind of things do you have coming up that you're excited about you know, the, the summer is a big thing. Um, we do concerts with Allegheny County. Um, they bring in some really great acts. I think this is our fourth year now doing that. Um, that's really exciting, you know, bringing this warehouse into, you know, full use. And if you look at our events calendar right now, you know, I just pulled it up today and, you know, it's getting full. It's, so I'm, I'm excited to see every day booked and you know a couple days off but like it's really awesome to see you know full utilization so i'm excited for you know the warehouse you know the summer concerts and ultimately um you know finalizing the the construction of the warehouse which means bringing the, the hot side to the back and um you know fingers crossed and hopefully a rooftop beer garden oh nice yes um, oh, so what I didn't ask you earlier, why Lawrenceville? Uh, that's a funny story. I looked at about 20 different properties um, when I was looking for a space to put my roots down. And, um, you know, nothing else really worked. There were some places that were really nice. But as you're looking at it, you need to look at your water supply, um, your access for, you know, just getting loads in. And... Um, I think the water supply is one of the things that are most overlooked Absolutely. when people are shopping around for buildings yes. to, to yeah. open a brewery in. Yeah, one of the most senior craft breweries, I won't name the name, you know who you are, he had a, I think like a quarter inch or a half inch line coming in, you know, to run everything and just your flow rate's way too low. Yeah. Currently, we have a three quarter inch line, which is getting to be too slow, but I know that we have two different mains right here on on our on butler street oh, so you can tap into yes. another one with a so, larger yeah we're gonna probably go to an inch and a half you know maybe two inches at some point and just just bring it down but there's plenty of water you're running and it was you know really the space the availability the price and you know it ended up being seven miles from home that's a nice easy com- well actually no i my my brother-in-law who still is in pittsburgh um, always says no matter where you are in Pittsburgh, where you want to go is 20 minutes away. Yeah. I'm, I'm about 12 <laughs> to 15. So it's, it's pretty close. I have, I only have two lights, two or three lights and a couple stop signs. So it's not a bad commute. 
time it on your way home. I bet it's 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on when I leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, the alarm's gone off before, and I, I got down here in about eight minutes, maybe seven, and the officer's like, well, where do you live? And I'm like, I told him, he's like, he looks at his clock, he's like, I was speeding. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you... Do you see a time where will you need to upgrade your uh, brew house anytime soon? Or are you able to keep up fine just doing double and triple brew days? Yeah, as far as the brew house for this location, um, the one upgrade that we will make, um, you know, if you're a home brewer, this, you know, might make your head spin. Um, if you're from Iron Hill, you completely understand. But I have an, <laughs> I have a mash boil kettle. So we will actually mash and then transfer to the louder and then from the louder transfer back to that mash, lift up the paddles and boil in there. That's our Achilles heel when you're doing a double or triple batch because you really have to wait until you've completely knocked out. Yeah, you don't get to start that nut, that second right. brew until you've... Right. You know, we'll, we'll be able to crush. We have a grist hopper. So, you know, but you really don't even want to crush when you have that steam coming up because it will solidify that, that malt dust. And I've had experiences with that in my first or second brew. Um, so what we will add is a third uh, Whirlpool kettle. Okay. So you can start one louder, start the next one. And um, I mean, that yeah. alone will add what's plenty of efficiency to a your absolutely and you'll be able to do you know a triple batch in probably 18 hours you know do a double shift or if we have to do a triple you know with cleaning yeah. um so i mean that equipment has been paid off so it's like well let's just add one more piece yeah and you know get a bigger boiler and a bigger chiller <laughs> so that's all here in, in the house in place. Um, and you can stretch a 10 barrel brew house pretty far. Yes. Yeah. And you know, that's what, um, you know, my, my mentor had said, you know, don't start with anything smaller than 10. And, um, you know, we're going to run with that, you know, stretch that as much as we can. And, you know, you know, you know, finance is willing, you know, me willing, you know, my third phase would actually to be to buy a piece of property and have a self-sustaining water treatment plant, you know, on a piece of property, probably another 10 barrel brew house, to be honest with you. Yeah. But you know, I want to move to a spot where I can bring my, my poultry, my garden and just make it all like permaculture with a brewery involved in it too. So is that, is that like a pipe dream type thing Absolutely. or something you want to, you, you yeah. want, are going to make happen? It's a pipe dream. You know, I'll get serious about it in a couple of years once, yeah. once we get the warehouse going, but you know, I got three kids and the youngest is still eight. So Maybe about the time he's a junior in high school. Yeah, there's still plenty of parenting to do. <laughs> yes, yeah, it takes up a lot of time, and yeah. that was one thing I didn't realize, you know, when I, when I opened this place. But do you have any plans to open additional tap rooms? Because that seems definitely be a large trend in this area because of the the ability licensing wise to open sure so many satellite places you know we've looked at that we've looked at partnering with um you know another another person you know and there's been two or three different opportunities and it just didn't seem or feel right and you know that's just it's another thing to deal with yeah and a whole nother staff a yes. whole nother, yeah so with the amount of property that we have here being able to focus and when and this place that. is just so big, you could fit so many people right. into here that it, right. it's not as much of a 
necessity as some other places may have yeah. needed to go to a second place because they couldn't fit in their current. Sure. Absolutely. And I mean, I've always wanted to be a destination and, you know, if you look at our schedule, you know, Monday through Saturday, like we're trying to have something different for everyone. You know, we have comedy coming up. Um, a really great comic. He's well known. He's going to do three different shows this summer. Um, Steve Hofstetter got a great Instagram, check him out. Nice. Um, but, um, you know, we're just trying to fill up the space and, and utilize the space. So it's like, there's so much going on that, you know, even with the summer concerts, it's let's just focus on making great beer and great customer service here. What's your seating capacity? Um, seating capacity total is probably about 120 right okay. now. Um, and we're, looking at keeping it that way you know with the, the gaming area putting some drink rails so you know occupancy will be a little bit different you know with standing room as well yeah the comedy seems to be a growing trend too for uh breweries the, the there's a several companies that seem to be organizing that like uh having comics tour through breweries absolutely and um we actually have a history when i took over the ownership of the building one of our tenants um had an improv improv comedy upstairs which is actually a space that we don't have utilized right now so there's a stage up there and we're looking to get that space up to code and you know using that for a music venue so oh cool eventually and you know you asked about another location i have i have another yeah, yeah, you already location have it. upstairs <laughs> but you could have you know comedy going down here in the warehouse and you can have you know, a band up, you know, on the second floor. What's the capacity upstairs? Upstairs, um, seating capacity would probably be about 60. Okay. It'd be a real quaint type. Yeah. You know, if you're from Pittsburgh, it'd be like a, a club cafe-ish type of deal. That's cool. Yeah. You don't have a mic. Stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's awesome. There's a, there's a brewery down by me, too, that has uh, um, their brewery on the first floor, and then they've slowly been getting the upstairs up to code that it was an old place. I can't remember. There was some real famous singer that performed there. Um, but I think that's like, just a cool thing to add to it. Like there's, yeah. I love when breweries add those types of amenities to yes. what they're doing. Yeah. There's, there's just so much opportunity in the space and, you know, in hindsight, I wish I would have pulled the trigger and purchasing it a year or two earlier. Probably could have, gotten a little bit knocked off the purchase price yeah. but um you know it's it's a great space to have and it's, you know, we have so much to grow into so you know that's why we're not looking at any other locations yeah. Either. yeah it's those types of things that really add to that community aspect of a craft brewery absolutely and you know we've been down here you know on butler street you know in two, 2013 there was really nothing down here Shop and Save wasn't selling beer and wine across the street. <laughs> They've been trying really hard to advertise that. You know, I'd laugh because like you have Hop Farm Brewing right yeah. across the street. <laughs> um, but I mean, we've been the anchor down here as far as foot traffic, and um, we have Contemporary Craft right next door to us. Some some great artisans that do vi work in various different mediums, and um, so we do see actual foot traffic walking past us and work on them with events. So it's nice to have, you know, commercial neighbors, you know, other than the, the auto shop and, you know, shop and save. Uh, do you do many festivals or do you shy away from doing those? We, we do some festivals. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of pick and choose. 
um, you know, in the beginning, it was always something that you have to do to, to promote yourself. Yeah. And you kind of pull back a little bit based on, you know, do I actually have the beer that I can oh, afford just to, so to give away now? Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, we, we do, we're discerning as far as like, you know, is this just a full benefit? Are they yeah. giving us a stipend? So there's some that are must have, um, because they are, you know, the premium, you know, Pittsburgh event yeah. and, and everyone's going. So you go, and they've all realized, like, yes, we need to pay for the beer. And yeah. that's something that I've seen mature you know, in the last nine years of, of being an owner of the brewery. You know, at the beginning, it was just like, yeah, we'll just give you this beer. Or we'll get a $100 stipend for, for two half barrels. It's yeah. like, holy shit, I'm losing money. Yeah, and I'm I, when I say like there's too many now, I'm not talking about ones like best brunch ever. Those are the kind of sure. festivals I love. Yeah, they're getting it's, more creative now too. It's not yeah. just hey, I'm I'm having a, a a festival, you know, for the garden club in my neighborhood. Yeah. And can you give us free beer? Or even just like the large ones that are put on by event companies. Like sure. it's not put on by anyone local. It's just an event company that has them in different cities yep. everywhere. Like yeah. the, and it's all distributor driven. Like if you're yes. most likely if you're not with a distributor, your beer's not going to be there and Right. Yeah, and I mean those ones pay too, but it's, you know, you don't get much ROI. Like I'd rather sell it to a bar that has a, you know, a bartender that's pouring the beer that yeah. may know something about Hot Farm versus a volunteer you know, that knows next to nothing and they're just there because they're going to get free beer correct. when their shift is up. Correct. <laughs> and, and it being like a big drunk fest where literally there's a five minute last call and people are like slamming beers. It's like, all right, I'm just going to cut this off. Yeah. You know, we're not appreciating beer at this point. It's, you know, you will get that crowd where it's like, let's just go get drunk. Do you have, um, have anything else coming up that you want to let everyone know about that um, we haven't covered? I don't think so. Just, I mean, look for some really cool stuff uh, out of the fooder. Um, I think we're going to be doing um, some type of Flanders Red um, and just, you know, keep an eye out for those types A of things. Flanders Red was one of my most disappointing beers I've ever tried. I had been told so many times how amazing the Duchess whatever the whole name is mm -hmm. and i tried it and i thought it was absolutely repulsive really but i've had other flanders that i absolutely loved so i don't know if i just had like a you could bad have had a bottle you of could have it had a bad bottle it, it does happen <clears throat> which is very well because where i bought it was notorious for really dusty sure <laughs> beers yes so i should and also that was before like that was early on where i was just getting into craft beer and trying all kinds of different things sure so i should probably try one again but right that was one of those. That was one of those beers that I had been told by so many people, "You got to try this. It's so good." And I tried it. And I was like, "This is straight trash." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they can be. I mean, some people can, you know, feel you know, taste offensive flavors with them too. But you know, those beers can. It could have been just a bad bottle. I've never yeah. heard of that. But, but then I've had some made by craft brewers uh, right. locally that were phenomenal. The so it's not the style necessarily that I didn't like. So. Right. It, it could have been just a batter infected batch. Too. Yeah. I have uh, some random questions to ask you now that aren't necessarily beer related. All right. Do you wash apples before eating them? Most of the time. There's a, a appalling number of people that do not. Although I, I often will count just like rubbing it on my sleeve or something as washing it. So I, I grow <laughs> apples. So if I, if I grab it off the tree and I am all organic, you know, yeah. so if I grab it off the tree, I don't, I don't give a shit. Like 
best fast food French fries. Defend your answer. Ooh. Hmm. It's gonna be McDonald's. That there there are um, many people who strongly agree with your position. So in a, in a former life working for a supply chain company, still as the the graphics department, I, I learned a lot about this. And they have a th- three part cooking process, and they actually blanch them in sugar water first. No wonder they're so bad for you. Yes. <laughs> so, but they're yes, they're delicious. What would the title of your biography be? Hmm. My life as the hopster. Who would win in a battle between a ninja and a pirate? Definitely the ninja. That's wrong answer, but (laughs) is Batman a ninja? Semi. What is the scariest movie you have ever watched? Mm. Maybe it, the original. The original one was. It, I'm getting goosebumps right now. Still, like, yeah, <laughs> no joke. <laughs> Flats or drumsticks? Drumsticks. Wrong answer. Also, <laughs> when you put toilet paper roll on, is it over or under? I go over. Okay, that's the correct answer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> What's scarier, aliens or clowns? Definitely clowns. That is definitely the the most. Uh, agreed upon answer my favorite and like one ever given was that it was definitely clowns because aliens could be here for good reasons clowns never are (laughs) (laughs) name a famous person you would love to meet hmm i don't know i'm not big on famous people um Nick it just co-starred in a movie with Tom Hanks. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Like, you know, I'm, I'm actually the type of person, like, my kids saw, you know, Zach Hamill. He, he catches baseballs. We were at a Pirates game. And he's famous to them because he was on YouTube. And, like, I'm actually that, I'm like, don't swarm him. Don't swarm him. Like, yeah. leave him alone. Leave him alone. Like, and I'm. I've met the famous people that I've wanted to meet. Um, you know, my favorite band leaders or band members of all the bands. Like, I've met them, but, like, you play it cool. So, like, yeah. I don't know. I, I think I've, I've lived that dream out. Well, check one off then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you watching on TV right now? Um, um, Outlander. My wife loves that show. Yeah, she got me into it. She's been reading the books, and you know, it's kind of funny. Like, I'm like, honey, do you realize this is partly sci-fi, and you don't like sci-fi? <laughs> yeah. I've tried to watch a couple episodes, and I just, I, I can't get into it. It's interesting. It's getting, it's getting a little bit drawn out now at this point. What is the worst concert you have ever attended? Mm. The worst. Again, I don't know if I went to any bad concerts. Uh, I mean, there were some disappointing sh- short shows, but like everything has always been pretty good. Is it acceptable to use a gift card on a first date? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt. Thank you so much for your time thank today. You. I enjoyed this. Uh, thank you for the delicious beer. You bet. Um, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Cheers. Thank you, guys. Cheers. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook 
And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.